you'd like to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be there for just a few moments. The subject is really the title, Finding True Contentment. Finding True Contentment, or another title could be The Secret of Being Satisfied. Again, in our, in our country, it is hard to be satisfied. And that hugely affects the mission that the church has been given to us, right? I mean, the mission that Christ gave to us to accomplish. If we don't find contentment in Christ, if we don't find contentment, there's a tendency, a major tendency, to miss what, what God has for us. Or to say it this way, there has never been a society in the history of the world that has had as many commodities as Americans have. We almost forget that. It's like a fish swimming in water. doesn't realize that there's something else. We just swim in this. We are living in, in affluence that is unheard of in world history. This key philosophy behind it all is this. Only as you accumulate enough assets, or let's say it this way, only as you accumulate, accumulate enough stuff to satisfy your particular lifestyle can you really be happy. I mean, that's sad. That's a sad philosophy. However, you know what's even sadder? Christians have bought into it. <laughs> you know what's even sadder than that? You, I, I may have bought into that. You may have bought into that. Again, what's the philosophy? That only after you accumulate enough stuff to satisfy your particular lifestyle can you really be happy. We just keep enough, more, more, always more, always going. In fact, quite honestly, our society, if you don't, it says this, if you don't keep moving forward like that, you're, you're probably kind of worthless. I mean, what are you doing with your life? Now again, let me quickly say this, that there's nothing wrong intrinsically with stuff, just having stuff. And there's nothing wrong with just having a lot of stuff. Abraham had a lot of stuff. Job had a lot of stuff. But it is wrong to think that you'll find true happiness in that stuff. In fact, that's actually the whole book of Ecclesiastes, quite honestly. Ecclesiastes is written to the fact of, you know what, you can have your stuff, you can enjoy life, but if you think you're going to find your satisfaction in that, forget it. And you listen to testimonies, and I don't mean Christian testimonies, I mean just testimonies of rich people who are totally miserable, and you say, well, that's why. Things can't satisfy Oh, no, we all say, yeah, yeah, amen, praise God. But you know what? We actually somehow think maybe that is not exactly true. If God chooses to give you material possessions, it's because of his good pleasure. But I would say this, if he chooses to give you a lot of the good, of the good stuff as far as what America says, as far as stuff, be careful because you are a steward, right? Everything's owned by God. Be a good manager, be a good steward. But again, if you make the possessions the love of your life, you'll be deceived about what true contentment is. And I believe a lot of people are deceived. Most unbelievers are deceived into this. But what my concern is today is that a lot of Christians are deceived by that. Thinking somehow that possessions and accumulation and things can bring true happiness. And they can't. Or as one man said, we tend to divide... We tend to divine, define, 
define life. We tend to define life in terms of possessing and experience the things of this world, right? You're always running after something else. And again, it may not just be things. It might be things or relationships or experiences or something other than Christ. Something is going to make me happy. Now, we come here to Philippians chapter 4 because we find the great missionary Paul referring back to himself and his life and saying what really, where he found satisfaction in. And again, he's used the word rejoice a number of times. He used it in chapter 3. He used it in chapter 4, verse 1. My crown and my joy and crown uh, was in them. And look at verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's been using this word rejoice, joy. I have joy. But now he, he gets a little bit more specific. Because he not only tells you where it's found, but how he got it. Okay, so in verses 10 to, the, uh, to 20, I believe, let's see here, yeah, verse 20. 10 to 20, he says not only that he has it, because in verse 4 he says rejoice in the Lord. That's where it's found, rejoice in the Lord. But now he's going to tell you how to get it. It has huge implications on us accomplishing the commission that God has for each one of us by, by not only understanding contentment, but seeing it lived out in our life. Look at verses 10 and 11. But I rejoiced in the Lord. That's where it's found. Greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. And again, he's talking to the church at Philippi. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Let me just read down to verse 13. That's probably where we'll get. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I... I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By the way, verse 13, you know, we, we quote that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I have learned to live in great abundance and not trusting in those things. And I've also learned to live in, in um, great need and not finding myself bitter. I can do all things through Christ. See, that's the, the context. Christ is, is strong enough in our lives that no matter what situation He puts us in, whether it's great abundance or great need, He can be the sufficient one to carry us through that. That's, that's huge. Because many of us, because this is what America says, is try, are trying to protect ourselves. See, I think sometimes we try to protect ourselves against God. God wants to bring you down a path. No, no, no. I'm going to get this, this, and this in, my, in place in my life. So even God, if you want me to go down that really hard path, it's not going to happen. Because I know better what I need than you do. No, but he says, no, no. I rejoice greatly. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. No, it's for Paul, everything was focused on Christ. It was his purposes. Uh, we were at the, uh, on Wednesday, we were at the, uh, the neighborhood home group, and it was a wonderful time. The video was really unbelievable. It was 30 minutes about a, a young uh, couple that went to a tribe and within nine years uh, actually was able to leave with a Bible that they had, New Testament, and a church established, and praise the Lord. But we had, we had a prayer time before that, and one of the people in our prayer time over here and I can't remember exactly how he said it because I was in the men's. But he, he basically said it this way. You know, Lord, help us to stop 
trying to like design our life so that we have our our house in order and our retirement in order and all this like in other words lord just help us to give ourselves to you and stop trying to live this american dream thing in fact the video actually show uh, talked about uh, the one guy said you know one of the biggest decisions that they had to make at the very beginning when they were determining missions was they had to release the american dream you have to release it. You have to say, you know, Lord, it's not about the stuff and the security. It's about following you and risk. That's hard, right? I mean, I'm saying that's hard. I don't even like these type of messages because the Lord, like, you know, Lord, you know, Lord, go, well, John, you know, well, I'm just going to say, like, well, what does the Lord want to do in your life? Um, well, let's look at some components because we're going to run out of time. First of all, contentment understood. Now again, contentment is highly prized, but very elusive. <laughs> we, I can talk about it. I can talk, I can preach about it, I can teach about it, I have at times. And yet, again, it doesn't mean that it's easily grasped, whether in my heart or yours. Contentment, now by the way, the opposite is covetous. Covetous means I want more. The American dream. Contentment says I have enough. And it's not that I have enough in myself. I have enough in Christ. Okay, that's the whole. But let's understand it a little bit better. There was a book four or five hundred years ago that was written. It was called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It was by a Puritan named Jeremy Burroughs. And this is what he wrote about contentment. Christian contentment is, is that sweet, inward, quiet gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wisdom and fatherly disposal. In other words, we're at His disposal in every condition. That's just so, that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit. In other words, I am loved and I can rest in the one who loves me. That sounds so easy, but I'll tell you what, that's not, that's not easy. That's hard. It is hard. Some of you are going through some very hard trials right now. It is hard to just rest in God. And yet, the Bible has much to say about contentment. In 1 Timothy 6.6, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. In other words, godliness produces trials. I mean, because you're a person's godly doesn't mean that you go around the trials. You have to go through trials. But it's actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Just a couple verses later, he says this in verse 8, And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. I mean, just food and clothing, maybe a place to stay. In New York, you have to have a place to stay. You can't be outside. Not like in California. I mean, I have to be content with that. You know, I want a little bit more, Lord. Hebrews 13 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. In other words, let your manner of living be without just wanting more and more and more. Be content with the things that you have. For He Himself, as Christ has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In Corinthians 12, Paul says, therefore I am well content. I mean, the word, actually the word contentment means, again, to be satisfied, to have enough, to desire or want nothing more. Do you see how that is so much in opposition to the culture that we live in? 
I mean, that's all I'm really trying to do is say, do you know that there's something more? I mean, the Lord actually wants His people to be content in Him. And again, we've, we have this going on because the culture says something different. Now, what's interesting is this word contentment here, because in verse 11, the last word says, uh, uh, whatever state I am, to be content. Actually, there's a prefix that's added. And the, the prefix means he himself is saying, I have enough. In other words, he is actually saying, I ha- I'm one of these people. In other words, I've, I've, I've learned this. And I actually am living this. Paul is saying, yes, I am content. I, am, I, I believe I, you know, I, I have enough. In fact, you see that in verse 12. That's his testimony. Now, just before we move on to the rest of the message, let's just flip it and say, okay, but, but, but what if we don't buy into this? What if in our lives there's not a, um, the plant of contentment? What if it's not growing? What if we are covetous? You know, those who are not content, I'll just give you some statements. Wait, before I say that, when Paul says he is content and he says he has enough, he is not saying this. You know what, and, and as far as my personal holiness, I have enough. He's not referring to his personal sanctification. He's not saying this, you know, as far as ministry, I've done it enough. You know, as far as the people receiving, uh, I mean, hearing about Christ, I've done it enough. I've preached enough. No, he's, he's, that's, he's saying as far as the things in his life, he has enough. Okay, let's get back to, but what if, what if there's covetousness? What does covetousness do in our lives? In, in other words, when we don't have contentment, well, this is some of the things. Uh, if, we're, uh, if we're not content, we will have a tendency to be envious. And jealous, always comparing, our, comparing ourselves with others. See, some of, you, some of us, and I'll put myself in that category, sometimes we look around, we compare. Well, that's a sign of not being content. How about this one? We'll continue to want more and even perhaps get frustrated or angry or bitter when things are not received or when they were received and were taken away. Or, we'll not be able to graciously, generously, and abundantly lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. You know, we are going to be taking an offering for missions. And this is huge. Because if, if, we're, if we're covetous, we're just going to look at it and say, well, you know, I've got a greater need for what I have than the church does. So we're not going to be givers. And we're certainly not going to be sacrificial givers. And if we do give, there'll be a tendency to be tight-fisted or to have this attitude. I'm going to give, but Lord, I just want you to know I expect back. In fact, five-fold would be at least good. If you're not content, you will not be able to let go again of the American dream. And and I'm not trying to bang on the American dream, but but that, that concept quite possibly could have robbed millions and millions of Christians of their eternal reward because they got it here and didn't have it there. So it's very dangerous. I think ultimately God will break America of that dream and you kind of see it coming, don't you? You don't have $20 trillion in debt and not have that dream broken. But the point is, is that we, don't, we, we want to live proactively. We're not trying to, you know... We don't want to react, we want to proactively act. 
you'll find yourself uh, very difficult to concentrate on the important things of life. Well, what is the important things? Devotion to God. Um, ministry, people. You know, that's the important things. But again, things have a tendency to crowd out. And then a lot of times it's just because we're trying to get more things. We look in, we'll, we'll be looking more to ourselves than to God to beat our, meet our needs. And again, God almost then becomes the one that we're trying to avoid. Lord, you know, I'm trying to live content, but you keep making it hard. Why? Because I want more. <laughs> Your perceived needs will be greater than what you fear God's desired provision for you will be. Now you'll be undue, there'll be undue pressure on your marriage and family because getting more may mean extreme sacrifices in your relationships to get more stuff. Your life will tend to be characterized by fear, panic, frustration, manipulation, and control rather than trust. Do you see how this is a huge issue? <laughs> like this is not like some minor issue. In fact, Colossians 3 says uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now that's the negative side. Root issue, idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Well, take contentment is also a root issue. It means that you have your eyes on God. Again, your life will not be pleasing to the Lord because Hebrews says, be content, and that's a command. And I believe you'll miss God's best now and eternity, and for eternity, because, again, we are called to be content in Him. He brings us through many times trials, which like Steve was talking about in the ABF. I mean, God uses trials and suffering to accomplish His will. Many times we try to go around those. So why study Contentment for Missions Month? Because it has huge implications into our personal life, our personal finances, and our pers personal future. It actually reacts as far as... Uh, are we going to accomplish the heavenly dream or the American dream? You know, the heavenly dream. I, I say the dream. I, what, is, what is the heavenly dream? Christ said what? Go and make disciples of all nations. That's, that's Christ's commission. That's Christ's command. That's what he wants us to accomplish. So we need to be obviously focused and buying and, 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 uh, and committed to that. So that's, that's what contentment is. It means to be, have enough, to be satisfied. And again, I, I know this is hard. I mean, I'm 54 years old. I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, oh, you know, so often I've just been so concerned about having enough because what happens if I don't have enough in my retirement years? No, no, Jesus said, go and make disciples. I wasn't willing, and I'm telling you this as a testimony, to trust Christ at those points, Right? No, my mind and heart was over here. Wait, he said, get your, get your focus on what I'm telling you to do today. And, and, I, and are you going to trust me that I'm your Lord and I will take care of you tomorrow? Or are you going to have to put every... I'm not saying not to plan. I am not trying to say never save. Don't go... All I'm saying is sometimes if you start looking at your mind and your heart and you start... Man, I'm thinking a whole lot more about that than what Christ has told me to do today. That's all I'm trying to say. Just check your heart out. Just check your thinking. Challenge your thinking. Lord, what do I think about more? Me, future, or your plan right now? And if you say me, future, well then you say, well, wait, wait. Help me to just trust you, Lord. No, let's think about Paul. Where's he at? He's in prison. <laughs> He's in prison. He's in prison in Rome. He writes this letter as a prisoner in Rome. He's confined to a small apartment. 
We find this in Acts 28. He's chained to a, a guard that basically um, guards him around the clock. Unable to move, unable to have freedom, unable to uh, just work, because you know that he's a tent maker and he was providing for himself, but now he's, he's chained. Quite honestly, he's just on subsistence living. He doesn't have the freedom to come and go. The few people that he has contact with would be either one, letters, a few letters might be sent to him, and two, once in a while a person would be able to find him and come and see him. He is actually, not only with the food, the food wasn't given by the Romans normally. You had to get it from other sources other than just subsistence. I mean, he is completely under the control of another. His provisions humanly Either others help or he dies. And, and what is he doing? He's anticipating his trial that is looming over him by the infamous uh, Emperor Nero. And like how F.B. Meyer says it, commenting on Paul's, commenting on Paul's uh, life at this time. Quote, Paul is deprived of every comfort and cast as, lone, as a lonely man on the shores of a great strange metropolis with every movement of his hand, there is a clanking of his fetters, and nothing before him but the lion's mouth or the soldier's sword. That's where Paul finds himself. But what's his attitude? Well, he says it in verse 11. I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. In fact, it's interesting because in verse 11, the word learned is, where, is, is the word that we get disciple from. He has been discipled. It, it, what it means is he didn't just get it. I mean, at the moment of salvation, Acts 9, it wasn't like immediate, oh, and now he just is content and everything. He's learned it. I, I love that word, right? That means there's hope for anyone who doesn't have contentment at this very moment. So he's learned contentment. But this is the other. Verse 12, it says, I have learned, in the New American says this, the secret and it's actually a different word. It's uh, muel. It's a noun. It, and it was used of the initiation process into the mystery religions. Now, you say, why would he use a word like that? Because when, when, the, when a person came into one of the false, and again, I'm going to say false mystery religions, they were initiated in. There was certain things that were given to them, you know, like secret handshake and secret words. The masons are kind of an offshoot of some of that. But the point is, is that they were initiated into this mystery religion. Someone else brought them in, gave them the information. Now you are part of our organization. Well, this is how Paul's saying it. I have been initiated into the secrets of contentment. I have, I have learned it. Christ has taught it to me. I've been initiated. In other words, in the mystery religion, not everybody was able to come in. Had to be, you had to be chosen and taught and brought in by another. That's what happened to Paul. See, this is not for everyone. Oh, by the way, this is available to every Christian, but I would say this, very few ever find this type of contentment, right? Let's just be honest. Part of, the, you know, part of solving a disease, if you ever have a disease, part of uh, finding the cure and finding the solution for, your, for you having a disease is saying, you know what, I have the disease. <laughs> and I've got to have the cure. You've got to admit it. And I don't think a lot of us have this. But he says, I've been initiated into the, into the secrets. 
I've been discipled in. I've, I've learned. It's taken time, but I'm there. I understand com, uh, contentment. And so let's just look at some components. There's four. I know we're almost out of time, but these are keys to contentment or components of contentment, if you will. The first one, contentment comes when you are confident in God. Confident in God. Let's just go right back to verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. See, he's confident in his God. He trusts in his God. He can rest in his God. In fact, that's the same thing Hebrews 13.5 is saying. Let your conduct be without covetousness, but be content with the things that you have. For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, right? He himself, that's an emphatic. He's repeating himself in Hebrews 13. He himself, in other words, God has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So Paul is saying, listen, the, the first key of contentment is you've got to be confident in God's provision. In other words, it's either you are providing for yourself or God is. And you can't have both. Now, I'm not saying that you're a slaw. <laughs> and God does provide, and he provides most likely by you working, but the reality is, who's protecting you? Is it God, or is it me? And again, it's, it's easy to say, oh no, God, I'm trusting God, and everything, you know, but no, I think you have to step back and say, am I really trusting? Am I really trusting in who God is and what God is doing in my life? And that's really the whole, you know, I got to thinking about the word devotions. You know, we have devotions. Did you have your devotions this week? Did you get in the word and have devotion? What is devotion? Well, it has to do with affection. It has to do with direction. See, what is, what is devotions? I'm getting into the Word of God to learn about God. I'm getting into the Word of God so that I can trust and rely and rest more in my Father. Right? That's, that's what devotion's all about, right? It's about worship and praise and, and all that, and, and, and that whole process, what's happening? My heart is becoming more confident in who God is and what God does. Right? Make sure when you go to devotions and have devotions that that's what's happening. You know, you're not going because Ken is going to ask you whether you had devotions this last week for epic, right? I'm not opposed to accountability, but the reason we get into, uh, get into the Word of God because we want to know God, right? He's the subject. We want to know Christ. We want to know about Him, who He is, and what He's done. Again, we have to be full of Jesus, as one man said. To be full of Jesus is to be in the state where covetousness is out of mind. Why? Because to be full of Christ means that we are confident in Him. If you want a good passage, Romans 8. Again, uh, we won't have time to look at it in detail, but after Paul writes to the Romans, and he says this in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. In other words, we've been loved now we love, and all the things that happen in our life are for God's purposes. He works His plan out through us. But what's our, what are the next few verses where He talks about basically election, and God had it all planned out, even right up to glorification. That's verses 29 and 30. But then look at what He says in verse 31. 
What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? And he goes through all the things that could separate us, all the things that could hurt us. I mean, some of the things, um, like verse 35, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. I mean, all the bad things of this world. (coughs) I mean, God is for us. Can I really rest in him? And then he ends. I mean, look at what he says. We're more than conquerors. Verse 37. For I'm neither persuaded, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, powers nor the things present or things to come, height, death, any of those things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying all that right there? He's saying this. I, I'm confident in God. If you want contentment, You have to be confident in your God. Because if you're not confident in God, you're going to have to be confident in yourself, and that will drive you towards covetousness every time. Right? You see how that that plays out real easy? I mean, that's a real simple concept. That's why, again, Colossians 3 says this, covetousness, which is idolatry. What's idolatry? Idolatry is hitching my heart to something other than God. So you have two concepts, covet, content. Covet, Covetousness, I'm hitching my heart to something other than God. Contentment, I'm hitching my heart to God. Now, as Paul finds himself, look at the second part of verse 10. uh, That at the last your care for me has flourished again. And just in a very quick way, it had been 10 years since the church at Philippi had given to Paul. Do you remember Acts 16? Paul comes in and he gets arrested. He ends up in jail. And then after a, a miraculous event by God of the, of the prison, um, he could escape, but he doesn't. And then the Philippian jailer comes in and says what? What must I do to be saved? And he said what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He then stays, ministers. They gave him a gift on his way out, but it had been 10 years since he had heard from the church at Philippi. And you might say, well, what happened? Well, it might have been that they couldn't get a hold of him. Literally. I mean, Paul's moving around. I mean, we're not talking about UPS days, right? You know, just the fact that inaccessibility or perhaps their own poverty because the Philippian church was part of the Macedonian church that we find out in 2 Corinthians 8 uh, had deep poverty. Though they still sacrificed and gave to the Jerusalem church, they had deep poverty. So whether it was inaccessibility to Paul... Or perhaps they, didn't, they just had their own poverty. In other words, they just couldn't. For whatever reason, they, could, they didn't give him a gift for like 10 years. He didn't hear from them. And, and yet Paul's, this is how confident Paul is in, in God. His eyes are not on them. His eyes are on God. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. <laughs> There's some times that people over here can give. And you can't, and I'm not angry, bitter, frustrated, or anything in your... In other words, he is showing this. You know what? I'm thankful for the gift that you're sending, but it wasn't like I'm, I'm disheartened because you hadn't, I hadn't heard from you for 10 years. I didn't hear from you for 10 years, but I heard from these others, and they were supporting me. God is in control. God moves his people. I'm thankful to God. His eyes are on God. I love that. I mean, that's providence. <laughs> God is working. In fact, I liked how... It was MacArthur in his commentary. He talked about miracles and providence. Miracles are things that happen out of the natural order. I mean, like it's a miracle. Providence is this. So let me 
Providence is not miraculous in the sense that it interrupts the natural order. Rather, it allows for all the contingencies, events. Now, this is the providence of God. All the contingencies, the events, the words, the acts, the decisions, the elements of normal life. Now, catch this. And God supernaturally weaves them all together to fit his purpose exactly. I love that. That's the providence of God. He can take all the things that are happening in this world, including sin, including our sin, and still move it in his way to the very end so that even prophecy is completed exactly as it was written 2,500 years ago. That's providence. But providence is also God working to provide the needs of an apostle that is in a Roman jail and has very few friends. God is working all that. And this is the other thing. And God can work in your life to provide for your needs when you need it. And it doesn't have to come like you thought it was. See, we like to have our plan. And it's going to be executed this way. And God says, no. I'm God. You're not. But see, we fight that. Don't we fight that? No, God! I'm God! To rest in the providence of God. All right, so confident. When you're confident in God, there's no panic in life. No manipulation. No hysteria. No trying to have it by control. It's just, and if you've known me for 30 years, you say, John, you must be learning these things because I don't remember you always being like this. <laughs> Number two, contentment comes when you're teachable and learn what God is teaching you. Again, it goes back to that word learned. I have learned. Are you a learner? Are you learning the lessons that God is seeking to teach you? Uh, quickly, over to James 1. It's a passage that we usually think of referring to people. But it's actually not. It's referring to the Word of God. It's found in 119. It says this, So then, my bro- beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You know, I've heard that so many times. Oh, that's talking about how you deal with people. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to speak, you know, don't talk, listen, and slow to wrath. Well, actually, it's referring to the Word of God. Look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift. What, what does that mean? God is good. God is our Father, and God gives good to whom? His children. How about verse 18? Now it talks about his, his word. And of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. He brought us forth with the word. And so now he's saying, listen, but how do you approach when God speaks to you? I.e., are you a good learner? We go to the word to learn. That's why I hope we go, right? To fellowship, devotion. We learn. We want to be sanctified. But are you a learner? And then, this is what he means. Be swift to hear, obviously. Be, that's attitude there. Have a thirsty heart. Be eager and attentive to hear what the Word of God is saying to you. That's a learner. As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
And then the second thing is, we must be cautious in our approach towards the Word of God. Slow to speak. That's, again, attitude. It starts in the heart. What do you mean speak against? Rationalize. The Word of God says something, and we rationalize it away by talking. And, you know, it's amazing. I've I've listened to people over the years and in relationships. I mean, this often comes up when it comes to a, a failed marriage. Well, God gives me the right to divorce. Well, no, there is times that it's acceptable. If the person's abandoned, that's a whole... But it's amazing to me how people are not listening to what God... And they speak against... Well, you don't... Listen, you don't know my situation. Really? I don't, maybe, but God does. And His Word holds true. God says, go and make disciples. Well, you don't understand. I just don't have any friends that are non-Christian. Or that are, that are not Christian. Well, it, it's still a command. It says to give. It says to love one another. And, and sometimes, well, but you don't understand. Well, no, but God, no, He understands completely. You're disobedient. In other words, if there's things in your life that are not happening, that God says, this is what I want, maybe it's purity. Don't speak against it. You know, don't rationalize away. Slow to speak. In other words, you're, you're going to be a hearer. You're going to listen. You're going to do. And then finally, slow to anger. That's when we resent, not people, the Word of God. Well, because look at the second part. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The wrath of man. Can, can man get downright ornery with what the Word of God says for them to do? Yeah, absolutely. Downright sinful. I mean, we have cases of it even to this day. People who have left this body of believers, not because they want to go find another preacher, because they do not want to walk in paths of righteousness, and they are obstinate that they're not going to walk. And because we say, you know what, this is the direction you need to go by the Word of God, no, I'm leaving. And they are not going to produce the righteousness of God in them. They've just rejected it. You see this all over the place. I mean, I'll give you a couple. Acts 7, when Stephen's being, just before he's being stoned, he quotes from Scripture. He says, You stiff-necked, which means stubborn, and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Now, he's talking unsaved, but that same mentality can be in a Christian's heart. Where you resist something that God is very clear in His Word. You must do this. Well, you don't understand. And even get angry. You mean I have to stay with Him? That's what God says. You mean I have to treat that person with love? That's what God says. You mean I have to be willing to sacrifice what I have for them? Yep, that's what God says. So are you a learner? Because for Paul, he had to be a learner. And part of the learning for Paul was, he said, Lord, this is my life. You do with it as you please. If you don't learn the lesson of contentment, then frustration and anger and bitterness and resentment can settle into your life. And the peace of God will not be there. Now again, if we're almost out of time. <laughs> I wish we could stop the clock. But just notice, I started in Philippians 4.10. But what did he say in verses 6-9? through 9? These are very familiar verses to you. Don't be anxious for anything. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God will surpass your understanding, which will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. 
And then he talks about what do you have to think about in verse 8. Meditate on these things. Verse 9. Things which you have learned. Same word. And received and heard and saw in me. These do. See, we read that. Oh, I want to be peace. I want to have the peace of God. I want to have the contentment of God. The rest. Well, yeah, but it was based on the fact of he was bringing us right to. You've got to have contentment. And that means you have to have confidence in God. And you've got to be a learner. Number three, contentment comes when you live your life independent from circumstance. Because he says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. In means through, and I know how to be abased. That's brought low, and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I have learned the secret both to be full. That word full was used of feeding animals to fatten them up. In other words, you give them as much. Man, Paul says, I have learned Even through when I was full, there was so much in my life to be full and to be hungry. That means to suffer in a very needy way, to abound and to suffer need. See, he goes back and forth because he's saying, see, there's a tendency when we have a lot to to, to not, well, actually, Proverbs 30, just thought of it. Proverbs 30 says this, and this is what uh, the... The guy who wrote Proverbs, who was it? Was it Solomon? I'm not sure if this one was Solomon. I agree. Okay. Anyways, this is what he said. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Why? Why does he say that in Proverbs? Because if I have too much, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is, who is the Lord? When we are full, a lot of times we walk away from the Lord, walking with him. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Lord, just give me what I need. Protect me from wealth and protect me from poverty because both of those, if, if I'm not walking with you, are, I'm going to dishonor you. So contentment comes when you live your life independent from circumstance. All those six things that are referred to have to do with material stuff, not spiritual needs. And that's why in Galatians 5, that one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy, well actually two, joy and peace, both of which have nothing to do with circumstance. It has to do with spiritual realities. In other words, it's how you look at Christ, the spiritual reality of Christ is how you get joy and peace. You can't get them from stuff. I mean, you can have a little joy and superficial joy and superficial peace. We all have superficial joy and peace. I mean, it's just earthly joy. It's just earthly peace. When something comes through, someone gives you a, you know, or you get a raise or your house is closed on and finally you're able to burn the mortgage or something. I mean, those are, I'm not saying those are all bad. I'm just saying that's not true spiritual joy and peace. True spiritual joy and peace given by the Spirit of God is based on spiritual realities. So, contentment is not based off of circumstance. And finally, contentment comes when you believe and depend in the promise of divine power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, now we really understand that verse, don't we? He says, listen, I've learned contentment. I've learned to have much and to suffer need. And through all that, God is sufficient. I have learned it. I have learned that it is Christ who strengthens me through the times of much or the time of need. It's him that's sustaining me. It's, it's that word uh, endurable, the word strengthen. It's, it's the word that we get dynamite from. God is powerful in our life. 
And I think that's one of the reasons why we do try to protect ourselves, because we put ourselves in imaginary scenarios of what if. And we think through ourselves, well, what if this happens and this happens, and I end up on, you know, um, a skid row. What if? And because of the what ifs, then we try to step back and say, but Lord, I've got to have this, this. And it, and it creates an, an attitude of covetousness, not contentment. And it's all based on an imaginary what if. All just what if. And we forget that we can be confident in God. And more importantly, at this last point, confident in God's power. You know, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen in my life. But the Lord's asking me this. But Lord, John, can you trust me? Can you trust me? Can you just take the next step out of trust? And can you trust me? Will you rest in me? Or do you always have to have everything your way? Now, this is big stuff. To accomplish God's will in our lives, we've got to get this under control. If you don't, I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying, well, let me say it as Paul said, and then we're done. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul prays, thorn in the flesh, remove it. Remember that? And I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient. That's the word enough. <laughs> in other words, he's pointing back to the fact of just be content in my grace. My grace is enough. My, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in, not around, in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he goes on, verse 10. I take pleasure. And the word is, I, I am well contented. In fact, some of your versions say that. I am well contented. What would you well contented in, Paul? And then he uses in five more times. In infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I want strength, and we want strength, but we don't want to go in the distress. We don't want to go in through the persecution. We don't want to go through, because the word in means through, right? We don't want to go through times of great need. So what happens? We protect ourselves. <laughs> it is very difficult to trust God, isn't it? Oh, we trust Him for our salvation, but can we trust Him for the measly 20 or 40 years that we live on this earth? I trust that you are. So, covetousness is idolatry. Contentment is confidence and knowing the strength of God will be in your life whenever you need it, right? And we need to move to the contentment. How does that work? Well, for, God, uh, for Paul, what did he do? He had to accomplish God's purposes in his life today. That's what it means. In other words, I don't know what God is calling you to do, but if it's hard and he wants you to go through it and there's risk, what would you, after listening to this message, what would you say? Lord, that's what I want to do. Uh, it might be very simple, literally very simple. Sign a prayer card and say, I'm going to pray for you consistently for 365 days. Yeah, that might be hard. Well, I would say the Lord has enough strength to get you to be consistent in that area. What do you think? But it might also be this. You know, I'm not a giver. I need to give. But I don't know where it's going to come from because I see all my numbers and they don't match up. Well, is God's strength? You know, maybe it's living with a little less. I don't know. 
Hey, I'm not going to be the Holy Spirit to you. All I'm, maybe it's this. Oh, I give minimally, but I think maybe the Lord wants me to give sacrificially. Well, are you willing to do that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, the refugees are over there and they've given me an opportunity. I could even go on a mission trip for a, a week, two weeks, a month. But I don't really care to go to an Arabic country. Well, I don't either, by the way. But you see what I'm saying? God gives you another step. And we get all anxious, but my God can supply all your needs. And my God can strengthen. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I don't know what the next step is, but I would encourage you to take it. Especially if, if, if the only reason you're not is fear. God can, can supply, right? Let's stand as we... Are we going to close? Are we going to sing? Yeah, let's do it. It's ten, it's ten minutes over, but we're talking about the eternal God.